Our colleague Tonell Hobbs has been hanging out in one particular corner of the internet lately. I hear that you've been spending a lot of time on the dark web. Yeah, I have. It's really dark. (laughs) The dark web is where a lot of illegal activity happens online, from people selling drugs to hackers selling stolen identities. It's like a network of websites, and you can only get to them using special software that makes you anonymous. It looks just like my Windows, except it's all black. And I usually will just go to certain hacker sites that I'm following just to see who they're hacking. And it's like, there's like blogs or something where hackers are like... Yeah, it's just like a blog. It's like the hacker's blog. And the hacker will say, these are people that didn't pay up. Here's all their files for your enjoyment. But so your beat is education. (laughs) Yeah, right? Why has the education reporter been spending so much time on the dark web? Well, when they started hacking schools. You know, every week, their school districts getting hacked. Ransomware attacks have been on the rise during the pandemic, and hackers have been targeting schools with more and more aggressive tactics. They've locked up servers, demanded ransoms, and leaked sensitive student information. As schools try to navigate virtual learning, these hacks couldn't come at a worse time. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, December 1st. Coming up on the show, why school districts have become hackers' new favorite targets. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Last week, I called up a school technology director named Tony Brooks at his home in Texas while he was on Thanksgiving break. Done nothing today except play my guitar. So. <laughs> Tony works for the public school system in a small city called Athens. He oversees technology for the entire district, which serves about 3,000 students. And this summer, Tony had his hands full, getting things ready for remote learning in the new school year. We were starting school all online. So we were getting Chromebooks and iPads and MiFi devices. We were getting all those ready to be passed out to the students. Then, one morning, Tony's job got even more complicated. It was about six o'clock in the morning. I had just got up and got out of the shower and I got a text message. A colleague at the school had texted Tony a picture of their computer screen. There was a pop-up message that said the computer was encrypted, meaning the files were still on the computer, but a hacker had locked them up. I didn't know how bad it was until maybe 10 minutes later, I got phone call after phone call and text message after text message of people sending me pictures of the computer screens. And then, of course, people were calling me and telling me, my computer's got a weird message and I can't do anything. It won't do anything. It won't let me click on anything. So I immediately rushed out the door 
went to my office. Tony's computer at his office was also locked with the same pop-up message on the screen. The first thing that went through my mind was, you know, we've been hit, we've been attacked. And I immediately got my team together and said, I need every one of you to go to every computer in this district. Anything that's connected to the network, I want it unplugged and turned off. So we immediately went throughout the entire district and unplugged, you know, 3,000 devices. (laughs) Why unplug all the devices? We didn't know how bad it actually was, so we didn't want it to keep spreading throughout our network. But it was too late. Tony discovered that all of the district's data servers were encrypted. So all of our students and staff and everybody that works for the district, all their information in that system. What kind of information? It could be payroll. um, It could be students' grades, students' histories. Just everything that had to do with the school district is in that system. So it means that you're completely down. You just can't do anything until you recover from it. Tony's entire system was locked up just six days before virtual classes were set to begin. But it wasn't just the first day of school that was in jeopardy. All that sensitive information on the servers could also get leaked. Tonell says it's happened before at other schools. We wrote a story about the... uh Clark County School District in Las Vegas getting hacked. And actually, they refused to pay. So the hacker went ahead and posted all the information. I was in the dark web. I could see the files. And the files had employee social security numbers, student grade books. I've seen them put student discipline records in there, psychiatric reports in there. I mean, just personal details that could be highly embarrassing. A data leak isn't just embarrassing for students. It can also open them up to identity theft. So if you go and take the social security number, date of birth, basically still the identity of a five- or six-year-old kindergarten student, in some cases, by the time they find out that somebody's using their identity, they're you know, a teenager trying to get a car or a job or trying to get credit. And then, that, look how many years have gone by. Back in Athens, with all this sensitive data locked up by hackers, Tony knew he had a crisis on his hands. I was a little panicky. I was a little bit scared. I mean, I was very, uh, man, what is the word? Uh, I felt like I was going to have a breakdown. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I, I can I, imagine. I, I, was, I was so scared. I felt like I had failed my district. I never, ever, ever expected that this would happen to me. Tony called in backup from a regional tech support center that specifically helps schools. And one of the things they helped Tony do was get in touch with the hackers. The hackers had sent instructions for how to get into a chat room on the dark web where they could talk. In the chat, the hackers first wanted to prove to Tony that they were real. So they asked him to send over one of the encrypted files. We found a file that was encrypted, just a random file off of a computer that was encrypted, and we uploaded it to the chat. And um, they immediately sent us a decryption key, and then we decrypted the file and saw that that it did work. We were able to open the file, and the file was good. And so that proves to you that they are who they say they are, and they can get you out. That's correct. 
But that decryption key only worked for that one file. If Tony wanted more digital keys to unlock his servers and get the schools back up and running, the hackers said he would need to pay up. That's when the negotiation for the ransom started. I see. And how did that negotiation unfold? They told Tony that they would turn over everything for $50,000. Then Tony had asked, how do we uh, pay this? And the hacker said, in BTC, meaning Bitcoin. We had never experienced this before, so we didn't know where we were even going to go to get Bitcoin. We had to research all that. (laughs) Tony isn't the only school administrator that's been put in this situation. Tonnell's been following dozens of these kinds of cases during the pandemic. She's talked with cybersecurity experts who say that these school hacks are on the rise this year. But Tonnell also wanted to understand what was behind the rise in these hacks from the hacker's perspective. So she landed an interview on the dark web with a hacker group that goes by SunCrypt. They'd attacked a school district in North Carolina. So what did you talk about with SunCrypt? You know what I do? I'm going to get into the dark web right quick. Hold on a sec. You're going to go to the dark web right now? Yeah, I'm going to get in there so I can... That's the only way I can look at the chat. All right, hold on a second. I'm about to be in there. It doesn't take me long. Here. All right, so now I'm going in. Oh, that was a good one. Okay, let's see here. God, we talked a lot. Tonell says SunCrypt presented itself a lot like a business. The person that I was dealing with, their name was like SunCrypt PR. So I was like, okay, I got public relations. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, in talking, dealing with the hackers, like I was asking certain things and they're like, oh, that's another department. I'll have to ask them. <laughs> no so, kidding. Um, yeah. So I asked, how do you determine how much money you will charge? SunCrypt Press says, uh, we will not deny that it is all about money. It is based upon the revenue, the sensitivity of the data, and the total impact our attack will perform on the target. SunCrypt PR told Tunnell that they've been offering some of their targets a, quote, COVID-19 discount. They also told her that they have a scouting department, which identifies new targets. The scouting department's criteria is pretty straightforward. They told Tunnell that, quote, high revenue and low cybersecurity is basically an open invitation. And when you look at a school system, a school system has, you know, they have revenue coming in, you know, from taxes and everything. And here's the thing about a school system, too. All of their revenue, everything is public. Like, you could typically get on a school system's website, see how much money they have in reserves, look and see how much money they have coming in. It's kind of public and it's kind of out there. So there's that. And then they typically don't have really beefed up tech security departments either. You got to realize, too, a lot of school districts, because of remote learning, they've gone out and bought all kinds of technology. There's been a big focus on just getting everybody online, but not a lot of focus on making sure these systems are totally secure. So by the time a hacker attacks a school district like the one in Athens, Texas, they've got a lot of leverage over the school and they can demand a pretty substantial ransom. In some cases, schools have paid hackers huge sums of taxpayer money. But Tony Brooks didn't want to pay. If you pay, they win. 
that, that's that's the bottom line. They win. I, I just I didn't want to pay these people because they had caused us so much grief. And Tony knew that there was one thing that might help get him out of this bind without having to pay. That's after the break. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. With their servers locked down, the superintendent of Tony's school district was forced to consider the worst-case scenario, giving in to the ransom and paying tens of thousands of dollars to the hackers. Basically, the school superintendent asked the board, the school board, to have an emergency meeting because they needed to explain to the school board, this is what's going on, we've been hacked, and if we don't pay, then we won't have access to the servers. Some members of the school board were very skeptical. They didn't really want to pay at first because, you know, who wants to pay the person that's doing harm to them? You know, there's some people that just didn't want to use taxpayer money to pay off a hacker. But then they came around and understood that if we don't pay, it could be weeks to rebuild these servers. It could be weeks before our kids could start school. So they did end up approving uh, to pay the money. Just a day after the hack, the board agreed to pay up to $50,000 to the hackers. And they voted to delay the start of school by a week to buy themselves more time to recover from the attack. Meanwhile, Tony was still determined to find another way out to avoid paying the ransom. While the school board was debating whether to pay the hackers, Tony had been hard at work looking for the one thing that could get him out of this, a backup. Before the hack, Tony would back up the school's files every day. So if he could just find one of those backups, even if it was a few days out of date, it could get his servers back up and running. There was just one problem. It was really hard to navigate to his backup folders on the computer, since the computers were pretty much locked up by the hackers. We had to figure out how to access the the storage drive in order to get to the backup files. So it sounds like you were basically trying to get in through a side door, like you were basically trying to hack your own system. That's pretty much what we did. I mean, we had to get around the encryption because once that server gets encrypted, it's hard to do anything on the servers. But each new backup that Tony found was locked. Until, finally, two days after the hack, Tony looked somewhere that he hadn't looked before. The backups of his backups. We had a backup that run every night, and then I ran a backup of the backups every night. And there, he found what he'd been searching for, a clean, unencrypted backup. It was a huge relief. I mean, I immediately just started shouting, you know, like, yes, you know, yes, yes. And it was just one of those moments where you just felt so overjoyed and overexcited, you know, it was just, it was awesome. And I knew at that moment, we're not paying these people. We quit talking to them. I immediately called my superintendent and, and told her, and everybody was just excited. And 
from then on out, it was just a matter of rebuilding. Tony had a cybersecurity firm come in to determine whether any of the personal information had been taken by the hackers. The firm said it looked like the hacker had just encrypted the files, but didn't actually steal any of them, like what happened to the school district in Las Vegas. So Tony wiped all the school's computers clean and then loaded the unhacked files from the backup onto everyone's computers. The system was back up and running. No ransom was paid. Have you heard from the hackers at all since? We have not. So they just disappeared. I will say that I've been watching my logs and my firewall, and we have been getting some weird IP addresses <laughs> from the other side of the world trying to get back in our firewall. So it sounds like they are knocking on the door again. If possible, yes, I believe they are. How does that make you feel? Honestly, I have anxiety about it. I worry that it's going to happen again. I'm doing everything I can possibly do, but you just never know. You could spend millions and millions of dollars on the most high-tech security, but somebody's going to find a way in. That's all for today. Tuesday, December 1st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.